Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to read real quickly Matthew 4, 4 in just a minute. We're going to start this series about uh, called um, Making Waves or Tuning Into God's Voice. It's about how to hear God. And I love Casey came up with the title, Making Waves. And the idea is that as we hear God, it changes our life, but it also ripples out and affects other people. How many of you have recognized that? And the Bible says, uh, well, actually, sorry, in, in uh, March the 23rd, uh, 1968, a man by the name of Andrew Walmack had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life. And uh, that has rippled out and affected a whole bunch of people, one of those being me. And however many years later, he started a Bible college that I went to that changed my life. And um, hearing God it has the potential to impact our lives and also those around us in big and small ways. About 12 years ago, right about this time, I got a word from God that I could get married to my wife. And uh, that was about the best news I'd ever gotten. I prayed. I was madly in love with her. And I prayed, <laughs> you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't, you shouldn't already have an answer in your, in your mind that you want. I'm not sure what I would have done if he'd have said no, but, but he was merciful. And so he said, he, he that finds a wife gets a good thing. Amen. That's a scripture. How many of you know yeah. it's, it's in yeah. Proverbs? And I thought, well, thank, thank God. That's all the word that I need. And uh, she also uh, prayed and, and heard God. And uh, anyway, it's been great being married. I'm thankful for that. We can hear God in big decisions like that. And we can also hear God in, in everyday situations. I got to go uh, minister at this prison last Tuesday. It was a neat opportunity. I know some people that do some prison ministry up in Fort Leavenworth. And so I went into this place and they had uh, a bunch of guys there. And, and it, it was a deal where you had to be there for 10 years. You had to have a 10-year minimum uh, sentence to be in that, in that prison, and so uh, they had this really nice chapel area, and I got to go in there and minister to about 25, 30 guys, and, and I got to teach about uh, relationships and, and healing relationships, and I was just uh, praying beforehand, and I got several words of knowledge about things that, that physical problems that people had, so we prayed for people, and people got healed, and that was cool, but I also wanted to... Um, uh, try to hear God about some relational things. And so I heard two people's names. I heard Amber and I heard Vince. And this is a small group of guys. And so I, you know, there's tremendous risk in just, just saying, does the name Amber mean anything to anybody? Uh, but I, I, I said, you know, I just feel like God's working to restore relationships. And it, does, does Amber mean anything to anybody? And this guy right down here raised in his hand. He was like, oh, that's, that's this person I knew 10 years ago. And I thought, great. And I was like, well, does that, do you want to reconnect with her? And, and he said, well, she just, we just started talking about a week ago for the first time in 10 years. And I said, wow, I don't know what that necessarily means, but I just, just invest in that relationship. I believe it. I asked him if, if the person was a Christian and uh, he said, yes. Yeah. So you want to be careful in that. You know, if I, if I had to take that word, make a paragraph about how you're supposed to marry that person or something, that, that would be really dangerous. And so I didn't say that. I just said, you know, God sees what you're doing and cares about your relationships. And I said, what does Vince mean anything to anybody? And this guy raised his hand and he said, that's my pastor from four years ago. That I haven't talked to in four years. And I said, wow, well, do you want to, do you want to reconnect with him? And he said, well, I just got one of his cards three days ago. <laughs> I said, wow. <laughs> 
and the, the funny part was he didn't, he didn't, they told me later he doesn't believe in, in that, what I just did to him. So anyway, so, so anyway, that changes your theology sometimes. But, but uh, so I just, here's the deal is, is I tell that story because it shows if you hear God, it blesses me, but it, it blessed those people. I mean, it confirmed to them, hey, God is paying attention to my life. God cares about my life and uh, God, God is working. So uh, we want to teach you how to hear the voice of God. Uh, Matthew 4, 4 says that we don't live by bread, of, uh, excuse me, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. Your first blank is our lives are wrapped up in hearing the voice of God. I think that means a couple things. I think it means certainly that um, when Jesus created the planet, the Bible says he spoke everything into existence. And then Colossians 1 says that in him all things consist or all things are held together. I believe that the very atoms in your body, the molecules in space, all the things around us that we see are held together by the voice of God. I think it means that. I also think that it means that hearing God is the source of all breakthrough. That, that if I were to sit and talk with you and were to look back at your life and see all the good things that have, God's done for you, more than likely it started with something that He said. Whether it was to you or to somebody close to you, you heard God say something and that brought a breakthrough. Amen. I think we can conclude pretty easily from that that hearing God then is very, very important. There are a variety of ways that we can hear God, and I, we're going to spend quite a few weeks on this. But these first two weeks, I just wanted to start with the most important, which is hearing God through the Word, through the, the Scripture. There's uh, a tendency in charismatic circles or Pentecostal circles or whatever label you want to use where people believe you can still hear the voice of God in a way that's like I told you about where I heard some people's names, there's a tendency sometimes to get real excited about that, which I am, but, but sometimes people will exalt that above the written word. And, and some people get some kind of strange revelation that they believe God told them, and it's in violation of the word. And they say, well, but God told me. Well, if he is the word, then he's going to agree with, with what the Bible says. And Paul said that if an angel from heaven preach unto you a gospel other than that which you received, let them be accursed. That's what he said. Now this guy Joseph Smith literally had that happen. He had an angel called Moroni come and tell him that, that the Bible was incomplete and he needed to add some stuff, stuff to it and that he found the Book of Mormon and stuff and that's where Mormonism comes from. So he probably should have read Galatians and maybe wouldn't have had that whole deal happen. But anyway... Uh, the Word of God, number three there, has final authority in our lives. The moment we begin to undermine the authority of Scripture, literally everything implodes. It's a common thing nowadays to say, I don't believe the Bible, I just believe Jesus. Well, the problem with that statement is that Jesus believed the Bible. In fact, he quoted from it extensively. He quoted from the Septuagint, which was the... Um, the Greek translation of the Old Testament that, that Jesus read. He obviously didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but he had the whole Old Testament. He quoted from that extensively. He believed the Scripture. And really, the only place you've heard about Jesus is the Bible. And so to, to, to say you just believe 
Jesus and not the Bible, I, I think, is kind of strange. Uh, really what that is is just a desire to throw out certain portions of Scripture that we find uncomfortable or that we don't know how to deal with. And I, I'll be honest with you, I don't understand the whole Bible. And if somebody tells you they understand every single Scripture in the Bible, they're probably not being super honest with you. Or they've got, or they've got kind of an inflated understanding of, of themselves. Okay? Uh, so I don't understand everything in there, but I believe all of it. I believe it's the Word of God. And some people will say, well, you know, there's all these different um, copies and things, and there's all these different, uh, there's discrepancies between some of the copies. And I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I think most of you believe in the authority of the Scripture. But if you research this, it's really fascinating. The Bible is easily, by far, uh, the secular world will acknowledge the most accurate ancient text that we have. And that's because there are thousands upon thousands of manuscripts that all say the same thing. And yes, there are some textual variances, uh, but about 98 or 99% of those are things like grammatical structure. And in the Greek, um, they had a different way of structuring sentences, so, so it didn't necessarily matter where you put the subject or the object. Like in English, Bob hit Steve is a lot different than Steve hit Bob. Right? The word order matters for who did what to who. In other languages, like, like I think Spanish, it, the word order doesn't matter. And Greek is one of those languages, and so sometimes copyists would flip word orders, but it doesn't change the meaning of the sentence. Everybody there? About 98% of the, the variances are because of that. And then the other ones uh, are some things that people argue about. Like some people argue about whether or not the end of Mark 16 should be in the Bible. Um, Romans 8.2 has, has uh, the last part of it there. Some people argue that shouldn't be in there. Some people think that the story about Jesus with the uh, woman caught in adultery shouldn't be in the Bible. All these kinds of things. Here's why none of that concerns me. None of that alters any major doctrine in the Bible. In fact, pretty much every biblical scholar will agree that no variation in any of the Scripture alters in any way any significant doctrine in the Bible. Salvation by faith, the resurrection of the dead, all these kinds of things, all the things we sang about, all those are, are contained in all the Scriptures, and, and so there's no reason to stress about whether or not the Bible's accurate. In fact, I say this, if God can't protect His Word and get it to you in a way that's accurate all these years later, then you really ought to have serious concerns about His ability to save you. You really should. I mean, if he can't write a book and get it to you accurately, how's he going to save you from eternal hell? Amen. I mean, that's the question that, that I have. Now, I want to just take a moment here before we get into the rest of this to say that uh, this is the Word of God. And so if you love Jesus and you believe this book and you believe the creeds like we read there, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, which just talk about the basic doctrines of Christianity, then we can agree. We can, we can get along. We can work together. I'm with you. And, and, and we may have, there's a wide spectrum of, of belief within the church. There really is. There's, uh, you know, there's covenant theology. There's um, dispensationalism. There's new covenant theology. There's premillennialism, postmillennialism, amillennialism. There's um, uh, various atonement theories, the Christus Victor theory, the satisfaction theory, the penal substitutionary atonement theory, 
there's, there's various beliefs about the, the uh, gifts of the Spirit. There's cessationism, there's liberalism, there's charismatics. There's all these broad spectrum of, of beliefs within Christianity. And, and here's the thing. All those people go to this book to substantiate and support what they believe. Now, I strongly disagree with a lot of them about a lot of things. But I love all of them, and they're all part of the body of Christ. And I'm not going to call people heretics because they interpret this differently than me. We, we, really, ought to, we really ought to be careful with the word heretic and false teacher and false prophet and all these, all these kinds of words that get tossed around very loosely in, in the body of Christ. The Bible talks about heresy, but it's stuff like 1 John was written against, which is Gnosticism. Gnosticism is a heresy because it denies that Jesus came in the flesh. It says Jesus didn't actually come here in a physical body. He was just a spirit. That's a big problem. Okay, that denies the virgin birth, which is part of the Apostles' Creed. So, uh, you, you know, I had... Well, I won't tell that story. Okay. All right. I got to get, I got to get through the notes. I was telling my friend JT, I was like, you know, the problem with these fill in the blank notes is I got to, I got to finish all of them or you guys will stress out. So I got to, I got to, I got to keep going. So I just want you to understand we're at church. We, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what I believe and I'm going to, you know, explain this to you, but there are people that disagree with me and I'm not mad at any of those people. Hello. And, and we don't want to be a church that's, that's mad at, at people for disagreeing with us, okay? We, we don't need to do that. All right. Number four, there are different levels of, apply, uh, excuse me, of our interaction with the Word. So we're going to learn how to hear God through the Word. But the most basic level, and this is really simple, but it's just applying the principles in the Word to our life. In other words, I want to read this, and then I want to figure out principles about how to live my life, and then I want to live by those. And that's a legitimate way to hear God. Now, I want to stress in letter A that the Bible is not meant to be read as a rule book. In other words, I'm not reading this book and then I'm stressing out because I'm not doing everything in here perfectly. It's I'm reading it really as advice from a good father who loves me and wants me to live well. And so even though I believe you can hear the voice of God specifically for you and you can get words of God from here, which we'll talk about next week, uh, even if all you did in your relationship with God was read this book and find godly principles and then try to do them, you'd be doing better than if you never read the book at all. You really would. There's a lot of, pro there's a lot of amazing uh, statements in the book of Proverbs about how to work hard and how to... Uh, not get involved in sexual immorality and how to save money. And those work, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe in Jesus or not, if you work hard and you stay faithful to your spouse and all that, you can have a good life down here. Now, I mean, you, you need to accept Jesus so you can go to, go to heaven, but, and, and ultimately you're missing out on relationship with your father if you don't accept Jesus. But, but the, the fact of the matter is that you can apply the scripture to our lives. Letter B, the Bible contains the general will of God for our lives. And if we'll submit ourselves to the general will, it helps us learn about the specific. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. How many of you would like to know what the will of God is for your life? 
it's to be thankful. It says it right there. That's a, that's a word from God for you. God, listen, God is speaking to us. How do I know? It's not because I had a goosebump. It's not because I cried. It's because the word says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. It couldn't get much clearer than that, could it? And, and here's something I've found, is that I can be in the will of God, in the sense of in the specific will of God, like pastoring this church or ministering to somebody, and yet I can get out of the will of God by being unthankful. Even though I'm in the will of God, in my, my purpose, I'm out of the will of God because I'm, I'm being ungrateful. And really, we're all the time obsessing over... Um, you know, the will of God for our lives, and I'm, I'm with that. I mean, you know, I'm part of this generation. Actually, it's people a little bit younger than me, but, but you know, this, this millennial generation is very, very focused on, i got to find my purpose. i got to achieve something, accomplish something, and, and I'm all for that. But sometimes we get, we get so focused on the specific will of God that we miss, you know, sometimes it's a lot simpler than we'd think. If you would just go do something and be thankful doing it, God, God, God says, hey, that, you're in my will. I love, uh, Bill Johnson says this, you know that Matthew 10, 8 says, heal the lepers, or excuse me, uh, raise the, excuse me, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. And so he says, what's the will of God for your life? Well, it's that you would heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. And so people ask him, well, what do I do for a job? And he says, who cares? Get a job, and then while you're there, heal the sick, <laughs> cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. I would say, I would say, get a job and be thankful. Amen. Amen. It's really that simple. And if you'll, if you'll do the simple stuff that the Bible says about the will of God, you'll, you'll find more information about the specific. Amen. Let her see good decisions begin with us submitting ourselves to the word and, and doing what it says. Uh, you know, the Bible, I, I don't preach this a lot in big groups, but when I, I talk to youth, I, I try to talk about who to, who, who to marry. And how the Bible says that you want to don't be unequally yoked with a, with an unbeliever. You know the, the Bible says that. Now, if you've married somebody um, out, outside of the, the church and, and whatever, God loves you. Don't don't be don't condemn yourself. Okay, it's not. And if things go south in your marriage, don't condemn yourself. God loves you. There's there's restoration. But if you're if you're a young person, you would do well to listen to what the Bible says. If you're a Christian and Jesus matters to you you ought to be with somebody that shares that value system. It's it's really that simple. And and the Bible doesn't write that because God doesn't say that because he wants to kill the party or because he's no fun. He says it because he he knows otherwise you're going to end up talking to a pastor like me about how your life's a mess and and stuff. And listen, you you can get marital counseling even if you marry the exact right person. It's hard. Marriage is hard enough if you marry a Christian. Okay, so there's no condemnation if your marriage, marriage is hard. All right, so, so even if you get it right, it doesn't, you know, somebody, people have free will, people go off and do crazy stuff, so don't, don't condemn yourself, okay? But, but good decisions begin with us submitting ourselves to the Word. Not only do we submit ourselves to the wisdom about how to do life, but we also agree with what the Bible says about who we are in Christ. For example, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that you're righteous. So if you walk around all day talking about what a sinner you are, you aren't in submission to the Scripture. Yeah. 
Again, God's not mad at you, but God says you're righteous. So how do I obey the scripture? I agree with what, with what the Bible says. The Bible says in Colossians 2.13 that you're forgiven. So if you keep bringing up all your sin to God all the time, again, God's not mad at you. Don't condemn yourself. But you're not submitting yourself to the word. Because the Bible says that you're forgiven. And so if you're going to believe that, you need to, you need to act like you're forgiven. Amen? Amen. I, I, for years now, I'm not bragging on me, I'm bragging on Jesus. It's, it's been years since I've had any question in my heart about whether or not I'm forgiven. It really has been. And, and I, I, I say that not to brag, but to say that that, that reality is available for you. You don't, you don't have to go through life wondering whether or not God's upset with you. You can know that it's, it's been paid for by Jesus. All right. So we apply the scripture to our lives. Does that make sense to everybody? Yes. Now, I want to just give you a caution here about, about applying the scripture to your lives. Because not every scripture in the Bible applies to you in the same way it applied to the people it was originally written to. Second, Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed or inspired by God and it's profitable for instruction, uh, reproof, correction, and so forth. That means every scripture in the Bible, every scripture in here has something to teach me. I can learn from any scripture in here. But that does not mean that every scripture in here applies to me in the exact same way that it did to the people that it was originally written to. And I'll prove this to you in a really kind of funny and simple way. If every scripture applied in the same way, then eating bacon would be a sin. <laughs> the Bible says that. Look at your Bible. Deuteronomy 14.8 says, And the swine, because it divides the hoof, yet cheweth not the cud, is unclean to you. That's fancy old English way of saying that, that pigs are unclean and, and to eat them is a sin. That's why Jews, they didn't eat the pigs. They didn't eat bacon. Now, if that scripture applied to you the exact same way that it applied to the Jews, it would be a sin for you to eat that bacon. How many of you like bacon? I love, I love me some bacon. I'm thankful, I'm thankful for Jesus because he came so that I could eat bacon. It's, it's way, 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 way down on the list of reasons that he came. Okay, but I believe it's on there. <laughs> now, what is this, why, is, why does this not apply to us? Now, there are some people that would say that, that it does apply to us and that you shouldn't eat bacon as a Christian, but there aren't very many. Uh, they're called people that believe in covenant theology, which is this idea that the new covenant is really, it's, it's just a renewal of the old covenant. And so they always debate about whether or not you can, you can wear garments of mixed clothes and whether or not you can sow your field with, with a variety of seed and whether or not you can eat bacon. Um, but most people recognize that that doesn't make a lot of sense and most people want to eat bacon. So what they did was they created this, this way of thinking that says that the, the uh, ceremonial and the civil laws... Like, like this one, this would be a ceremonial law, those passed away, but the moral laws, like the Big Ten, those, those still apply. 
Okay, and there's a big, uh, several problems with that. One of them is that the Bible, you can't find that division in the Scripture. And, and Jesus and the Apostle Paul quote indiscriminately these various laws uh, um, from the Old Testament. They don't ever make any kind of distinction. And 2 Corinthians 3, 7 really kills that argument. Let's read this real quickly. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 7 through 8. It says, But the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones. Now, what's he talking about there? What was written in the stones? The big ten, right? So that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, uh, which glory was to be done away. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, how much more does the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory? For even that which was made glory, glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory which excelleth. I know that's a lot of old English. Read the next verse. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remained is glorious. Okay, so he says there's these Old Testament laws written and engraven in stones, the Ten Commandments, they had glory. And then this new covenant of grace, it has more glory. And then he says in verse 11, that which is done away with was glorious. What's he talking about? The Old Testament, and specifically the, the Big Ten. So he's saying, so, so, you know, who's the first person to remove the Ten Commandments from the courthouse? I know everybody had a big fit about that, right? Okay, but Jesus is the one. Now, I, I think it's great for us to have, you know, Christian things in courthouses and whatever. Okay, but Jesus is the one that says the, Ten Command the Big Ten don't apply. Now, I know that sounds, to a lot of people, that sounds like blasphemy. What do you mean the Ten Commandments don't apply? Well, they still apply to us in the sense that they're still a standard of righteousness. Like, is it okay to kill somebody? No, that's, that's still wrong, right? What's, what's the difference? The difference is, in the Old Testament, they were trying to use those things as a way to get right with God. And that system has been done away with. We don't, Romans 10.4 says that, that Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness. Meaning, it's no longer a system to try to get right with God. It doesn't help us. In fact, it never helped Anybody, you can't get right with God through the Old Testament. And some people think, well, I'm, I'm keeping the Big Ten. But Jesus, Jesus put that thing to rest. Because people say, well, it's, it's not hard to keep the Big Ten. Well, Jesus came and said, hey, you didn't really get it when I told you the Big Ten. When I said don't murder, what I, what I meant was don't even be angry in your heart. Because that's murder. Okay, when I said don't commit adultery, what I really meant was don't even lust in your heart for somebody because that's the same as already doing it. So what's the Big Ten and the rest of the commandments supposed to teach us? They're supposed to teach us that we're in trouble, not that we can do them. That's the, that's the whole point. The whole point is to read that and think, I'm in trouble, I need a Savior. And in First Timothy, Paul says, that the law is good if a man uses it the right way or uses it lawfully. For the, the, the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the unrighteous. Who's a righteous person? 
you are if you accepted Jesus. Right? So what's the law do? The law tells unrighteous people that they need help. Right? And then you accept Jesus, and then you're righteous, and then you don't need the law anymore. <laughs> so, letter B. Now, now, letter B in your notes. The new covenant is something, it's not a renewal of the old covenant. It's in something entirely different, and the old no longer applies uh, to us. So look at Hebrews 8. I'm, I'm covering a lot of theological ground here really quickly, but I just... I felt the need to kind of explain some of this. Hebrews 8, and I'll wrap this up pretty quick. Verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there should have been found no place for the second. If the Old Testament worked perfectly, then there was no reason for the New Testament. For finding fault with them, God says, Behold, the days come when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers. Is the new covenant like the old covenant? What does it say there? It says it's not like the old covenant. How is it not like it? In the old covenant, everything was based on you and your performance and whether or not you could live well enough. In the new covenant, it's based on Jesus and the fact that Jesus lived well enough. And so that does not mean that we're lawless or that it's okay to, to commit all these sins, it just means that you aren't using the law as a means of being right with God. Amen. Does that make sense to everybody? Yes. So, so Jesus did away with the Old Testament with, with the Ten Commandments in the sense that it's, it's not something there to help you try to get right with God. Now, you can still read it and find out what's right and wrong. Paul said that. He said, I wouldn't have known what lust was unless the Bible said don't covet. So some people don't know that it's wrong to lust. Some of you are looking at me like you don't recognize that. Some people, some people don't know that it's wrong to do certain things. And, and is the law still helpful then? Sure it is. But if you know it's wrong, does it help you? No. Because, because the law can't help you keep it. The law is powerless to help you keep the law. It just tells you you're in trouble and that you need Jesus. Okay, so real quickly, turn over to Deuteronomy. I'll do this real fast because we're running out of time. But how do I, um, oh, letter C, maybe we'll do that next week. Jesus fulfilled all the law and the prophets. Some people have a problem with what I just said and they, they read that scripture. Um, so I'll answer that next week. So if you're offended, just come next week and I'll, I'll try to make peace with you. I liked, uh, some guy said, some guy said, if you ever feel a check in your spirit when you're ministering to me, just remember you can make, or when you're listening to me, just remember you can make those checks out to Karis Kingdom Church. And anyway, all right. Deuteronomy 28 says this, it'll come to pass that if you'll hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord your God to observe to do all the commandments which I command you this day, that the Lord thy God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth, and these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. And he lists a bunch of blessings. Now, if that applied in the exact same way to us that it applied to the people that it was originally written to, what that would mean is that for you to be blessed, you need to keep all 600 and however many commandments listed in the Old Testament. 
That's what he's talking about. He's, he's just, if you read running up to there, he's just giving them a whole bunch of commandments. And he says, if you do all this stuff, you'll be blessed. That's not really very good news because they didn't do it. If you read the history, they didn't do it. They couldn't do it. So it's not good news for me to say, hey, I've got this great strategy for you to get blessed by God. Just do all this stuff. Because nobody's done that. And nobody will ever do it. What's the good news? How, does, how do you read this on the right side of the cross? Well, Jesus started a new covenant, and the Bible says in Ephesians 1.3 that you've already been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So when you read this as a New Testament believer, you say, It shall come to pass that because Jesus diligently hearkened to the voice of the Lord his God, and he observed to do all the commandments which, which God commanded him to do, that the Lord thy God will bless me high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon me and overtake me, because Jesus listened to the voice of the Lord his God. The first time I thought that was how you read that, Molly and I talked about it, we had this discussion, and I said, that can't be right. That's too good to be true. That's too easy. <laughs> And see, that's the scandal of the gospel. The gospel is scandalous and it's offensive. Paul talks about the offense of the cross. It's offensive to religious people because religious people, um, and I was one, you spend a lot of time trying to earn things from God. And then some grace person comes along and say, hey, all that work that you did, that doesn't count for anything. <laughs> you've got to just receive it by grace. And that's offensive because it invalidates all that hard work. Nevertheless, that's the gospel. And the good news is that it's not about what you've done or what you haven't done. It's about what Jesus did. And you can read the rest of those scriptures in Deuteronomy. It talks about that if you don't do all this stuff, all these curses are going to come on you. Well, I want you to know no curses are coming on you. It's not because uh, you're some perfect person. It's not because I'm a perfect person. It's because Jesus was perfect. And you're getting the blessing because of him and you're protected from the curse. Amen? So let's all stand up. This is really simple, I know. We're just trying to apply the word of God in the right way to ourselves. So understand, you're blessed because of Jesus and you are not cursed. That's good news. Alright, if my prayer team could come down here, I'm going to pray for everybody. When I conclude the prayer, service will be dismissed, but if you need prayer, you can come talk to one of my prayer ministers. They'd love to agree with you. If this is your first time here, we'd love to connect with you. On your way out, there's a welcome table on the right. You can get a connection card and fill that out, and we'll send you a free gift and get you on our contact list. We're just so thankful for you guys being here with us. I'm going to pray for everybody. Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness and what you did in, in Jesus. Thank you for making a new covenant that's not like the old covenant and that we don't have to earn your blessing and favor. And so Lord, help us to rightly apply the word of God to our lives. Help us to, help us to be thankful, Father, for everything that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have an awesome week. We love you.